Thank you. Good morning, everyone, again. Let's pray that God would help us to think about those two passages and what it means for our lives. Heavenly Father, we do pray that the words of Scripture, by virtue of your Holy Spirit, would really engage with our minds, give us insight and understanding and a recognition and the desire to change where we need to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder whether you've ever sat in church, got to the point of the service where there may be some sort of prayer of confession. The minister says something like, you know, think of your shortcomings and wrongdoings from this past week. And as you sit there, you can't really think of anything much to confess. You think, oh, you know, maybe I was a little bit grumpy one or two times this week, but that doesn't really matter. Oh, I guess there must be some sins of omission, the things I haven't done, but I can't for the life of me figure out what they should be, so that's probably why I didn't do them. In a nutshell, when it comes to sins to confess, nothing much is coming into your brain. Or perhaps you're thinking, I want to become a better Christian. I want to become more like Christ. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to change? What is there in my life that I need to turn around and do better at? Maybe that's you. Or perhaps someone is uh, here or or watching who's not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, and uh, you or they are wondering, you know, why is it that Christians are always going on about this need to be forgiven? I mean, I'm not that bad. The people I know aren't that bad. People aren't that bad, are they? Well, in each of these cases and in many others, the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular today's passage, should be very helpful for each of us. Now, one thing which today's passage does, it it helps us to identify the depths of our wrongdoing, sins we commit that we may not ever have particularly been aware of. Wow. Is that perhaps not one of the least appealing incentives I've ever given to listen to a sermon? I mean, that, that might be just the sort of thing you don't want to listen to. Learn more about my sin. It's a marketer's nightmare, isn't it? I mean, why would you want to listen to that and stay awake throughout that? Why listen to something that might reveal to us that we're perhaps more sinful than we ever realised that we were? Let me tell you why, uh, four good reasons why it's good to listen to a sermon such as this. Firstly, if we can identify and then respond to areas of wrongdoing in our life it'll help us to glorify God more. That's got to be good. And if we can identify and respond to areas of wrongdoing in our life, it's going to be better for everyone else around us. And if we can identify and rectify with God's strength areas of wrongdoing in our life, we're actually going to start living the sorts of lives which we were created to live better anyway. And fourthly and furthermore, if we're aware of sins in our lives which we didn't particularly realise were there before, we're going to have an increased appreciation of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. He's forgiven us so much more than we ever realised we needed to be forgiven for. Thank goodness for Jesus, we may think. A whole lot of good reasons for identifying areas of sin and then seeking to respond to it. I've been doing a little bit of shot put training recently. Some of you will know that shot put is one of my little hobbies. And for five weeks in a row, I went out and threw my shot put once a week. And I was a little frustrated in the end because between day one, week one and week five, 
How much improvement was there? Zero. And I thought, why am I doing all this practice if I'm not getting any better? I must have some technical flaw in my action which I'm not aware of. What I really want to do is identify what I'm doing wrong so I can improve it and experience the joy of seeing that shot put fly perhaps 50 centimetres further. I mean, wow, how exciting would that be? So what I've done, I've actually got, and I'm training with a group of people where there's a proper coach and I'm hoping he can identify where my action is flawed, what I can do to improve. Similarly, as Christians, we want to figure out where our lives are flawed so we can respond to it and improve and have, I guess, metaphorically, the joy of seeing our shot puts going 50 centimetres further. So it's good to identify flaws and deal with them. Now, what is the flaw which this particular passage is going to encourage us to work on working off? Well, in today's passage, it is showing off. Now, traditionally, Australians do not really like show-offs. In fact, we don't even really like tall poppies half the time. We don't really like when people go on about how great they are and how they draw attention to themselves, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me, etc. But did you know it's possible to show off as a Christian? And I don't just mean that we as Christians may say show off about our, I don't know, our work successes or our sporting successes or our children's or our grandchildren's successes or whatever it may be. We can do all that. But, you know, we can actually show off doing Christian stuff. Like all people, we're prone to showing off uh, and we can do it in the Christian context, doing Christian things. And so it's good to identify where we may be doing that so that we can respond and reduce the degree of our showing offness in what we do. So that's where we're thinking today. We're continuing our Sermon on the Mount series, Matthew chapters 5, 6 and 7. We're up to chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, which was read out a few moments ago. An outline of the main points you would have received, hopefully, when you came in or you downloaded, uh, if you're watching at home. And firstly, and we're going to spend most of our time on this, our first point is sincerity. Don't show off our righteousness. That's, I think, the main focus of the passage. But, as you would have noticed, right smack bang in the middle of this passage is that most incredible of all prayers, the prayers we refer to today as the Lord's Prayer. And so a second part of uh, this morning will be point two, supplication, how we should pray. Now, I'm only going to touch on the Lord's Prayer fairly lightly this, uh, this morning. So if you came hoping for a real focus on the Lord's Prayer, this isn't going to be the sermon which is going to give it to you. That'll be a, a sermon for another time. But let's start off with our first point, sincerity, don't show off our righteousness. The chapter opens with what is really the theme verse, I think, for the entire 18 verses. Let me remind you of verse 1 and, and read along if you've got your Bibles or your devices open there in front of you. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, if there's anyone you or I want to get a reward from, it's from our Father in heaven, isn't it? So, let's, let's listen carefully to what he has to say here. Jesus gives here a warning against spiritually showing off. It's a warning about doing the right things for the wrong reasons. You see, Jesus, yet again, as he has been throughout this sermon, gets us to continue to examine our hearts our motives 
And if we haven't seen it already in the Sermon on the Mount, we will certainly see it this morning. We will see, the, I guess, the insidious nature of sin and our fallen nature. It can just creep in and infect everything everywhere, even our Christian acts, even doing the very sorts of things we are supposed to be doing. You see, the sinful mind, which is still in us, which we're dealing, trying to deal with, loves showing off. And when we're in the presence of others, it can sort of put a spark to that flame. It's apparently something that the Pharisees in the first century were very prone to doing. And the second reading this morning touched upon that. You may recall verse 5 of Matthew 23 said, Everything they, that's the Pharisees, everything they do is done for people to see. And I think there's a bit of Pharisee in all of us. You know, we can be so very aware of how our actions are appearing to other people all the time and we can focus in on that. An American writer by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, Every man alone is sincere, but when a second person comes on the scene, hypocrisy begins. So, there's the warning. Now you might be thinking, you know, we've been sitting here doing the Sermon on the Mount, how does this teaching square with what was in chapter 5, verse 16? Do you remember chapter 5, verse 16? It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So you may think, hold on, chapter 5 urges us to show our good deeds to others and chapter 6 seems to be urging us to hide our good deeds for others in some way. What, what, what's going on here? What's the, what's the deal? Well, Jesus in both these passages is addressing different problems. In chapter 5, he's speaking against timidity. In chapter 6, he is speaking against vanity. So in chapter 5, we as Christians are supposed to show our good deeds to point people to Jesus so that they may glorify our Father in heaven. So our good deeds are supposed to point people towards Christ not ourselves. And in chapter 6, we're to avoid doing our good deeds before others to draw attention to us and how jolly good we think we are. Okay, see the difference? Are our good deeds pointing people towards Christ? Good, tick. Or are we trying to draw attention to ourselves so they'll think, wow, Steve Liggins, what a Christian legend, you know? Um, bad. Substituting your own name. So, Jesus then starts to give us a few examples to help us think through this matter more um, closely. Verse 2, so when you give to the needy, Jesus says, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now giving to those in need is clearly a good thing to do. It's something the Bible encourages us to do. It's good to help those who are in need. The Beatitudes, chapter 5, even said, blessed are the merciful. We want to show mercy and do acts of mercy. And here at this church, we try to encourage this very thing. We're supposed to be a church which shows compassion, clarity and integrity. Compassion, compassion for those in need. So we have our, our mobile community pantry. We had our city to surf to Congo. We've got our toys and tucker. You know, we want to help those who are perhaps in some sort of need. But as Jesus highlights here, as he does so often, actions are not enough. We need to think about our actions, but also our motivations. And in giving to those in need, Jesus seems to highlight two dangers. The first one is giving to those in need in a public way so that we might be honoured by others, verse 2. So that's like showing off, look how much I'm giving, you know. 
Thumbs up to me. We've already done that. But there seems to be possibly a second danger alluded to in verses 3 and 4. We can show off, not so much to just to others, we can actually show off to ourselves. Think about 3 and 4 with me for a moment. It says as follows. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. This seems to suggest to me that if you know, our left hand knows what our right hand is doing, we're sort of, in one sense, showing off to ourselves. We're doing good works so that we can have a really high opinion of ourselves. It can foster our self-righteousness. As we secretly give all this money to those in need, we can think to ourselves, wow, I am such a generous Christian. Thumbs up to myself, we may think. Now, perhaps we don't show off to others when we do this, but perhaps it sort of makes us just look down on others just a little bit because we don't think they're doing quite as much as what we are. You see, we should be giving to please God and to help others, which we also know pleases God. So I guess a good question is, when we're giving to those in need, who is our ultimate audience? Is it God or is it other people or even ourselves? Who are we pointing people to? Is it to God or is it to ourselves? Next issue, Jesus gives us another example. He thinks about the topic of prayer of all things. Verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, prayer is clearly one of the most important aspects of our Christian life. And the Bible describes praying as an individual, praying in groups, praying in private, praying in public. It's crucial to our spiritual health. There was an evangelical uh, bishop of the Church of England in the UK who was also one time rector of All Souls, Langham Place, London, which is a very good church over there. His name was Michael Bourne and he once reflected as follows. He said, After 37 years in the ministry, I can say that 90% of the spiritual problems I've come across among Christians stem from the fact that they have stopped reading their Bible and praying every day. Interesting insight. So prayer is important, it's good, but even prayer can be done in a bad way. We can sometimes pray to draw attention to ourselves rather than draw attention to God. Now today, if you sort of think, hey, I'm going to go out and pray on a street corner, that's not going to get you the respect and adulation of millions. They're probably going to think you're a weirdo. You know, that's not the sort of thing we do today. But it is possible to pray to get the applause of others in church circles or even in small groups. And I'm glad that Renee got to pray before I gave this sermon this morning so she didn't get up and feel paranoid about this. But, you know, uh, the temptation when we're praying with others around is to draw attention to ourselves rather than God. If we're praying in a room, we don't have that temptation then, do we? Now, this is not, I repeat, not a reason not to pray in public or not to pray with others. We're supposed to do that. The simple point is that Jesus is teaching us that when we're praying, we're supposed to have our attention of us and others focused there, not the attention of ourselves and others focused on ourselves. John Stott, who I so often quote, uh, says, 
Just as nothing destroys prayer like side glances at human spectators, so nothing enriches it like a sense of the presence of God. With prayer, our minds should be there, not elsewhere. When we pray or lead in prayer, we should be pointing people there, not here. A third example Jesus gives. He really thinks this is important. The third example is fasting. It's possible to show off if we fast. Now, the reason I say if we fast is because fasting can be a very good thing to do, but it's not something the New Testament tells us to do. Fasting is, of course, abstaining from food for a period of time, and spiritual fasting is where we choose to do that for spiritual reasons. And I believe that spiritual fasting in New Testament times falls into those lists of practices of things to do which might be, might be helpful for us, but we don't need to do it because there's no command to do so. But in the Scriptures, fasting is often associated with prayer, you know, prayer and fasting. Uh, it may help us with our concentration and in prayer. Uh, it may help us to give extra time to prayer. We may fast when praying over particular issues. But the point of verses 16 to 18 at the end of our passage is that if we fast... We shouldn't make it obvious to others so as to show off. Wow, Steve Liggins, he looks really washed out. He must be fasting. What a spiritual legend is the idea that we've got to avoid. Once again, we do it to please God, not to impress others. Now, Jesus gives those three examples, giving to needy, prayer, fasting. But there are so many other Christian activities where we can be tempted to show off. Giving a talk to a church, to a youth group, to a kids' club. Now, there can be a lot of good motives behind people doing that. But it's also possible for an element of showing off to creep in as well. We may be giving a talk somewhere and we want people to see how informed we are or how talented we are or, um, you know, how godly we are. We might just love being the centre of attention or giving a talk might give us a sense of power or something like that. And similarly with every other thing we do as a Christian, whether it's attending a meeting, painting a wall, visiting the sick, whatever it is, we can do all these things for really good and godly reasons, but also for selfish, look-at-me type motives. Now, I'll let you in on a secret, which I hope doesn't you know, depress you too much, but as I've reflected on my own life, I am not sure whether I've ever done anything in my Christian ministry career which has had 100% good motives. If I really reflect on things, I can usually find some insidiously poor motive somewhere in there. So this sermon this morning, I don't know how God views it. Um, I, I, try and, I pray about my sermons and my attitudes and things. God might view and say, well, yeah, Steve Lickens, he's got 95% good motives for his sermon this morning, but 5% bad attitudes. Well, for goodness sake, he might think, well, Stephen, you know, 60% good motives, 40% lousy motives this morning, or 99 I don't know. But, you know, if I really reflect on it, I will find a bad motive in pretty well everything I do somewhere. So I guess we want to examine our motives for the Christian things we do, and it can often be helpful to ask, you know, who is our audience? Who are we trying to really, you know, play to? Whose approval are we seeking, God's or people's? Who are we pointing people to, God or ourselves? Now, at this point, uh, if you're engaged, I think probably you can all realise that all our good acts uh, have some uh, element of bad motives in them all the time. What do we do? Well, can I say, the first thing we should do is say, oh, thank goodness for Jesus, because I can confess these things to God and I know that Jesus forgives me for them. 
I'm a forgiven person. Thank goodness for that. And all those things I've done in the past, which I didn't even realise I was doing, Jesus has forgiven me for that as well. So we can just confess and be really appreciative to God for his forgiveness. Secondly, we can pray to God who wants to and can change us and say, God, look, you know, I've fallen short here a bit. Can you help me out? Please change me. And God is perfectly uh, capable of making us more and more like Christ and reducing and reducing our bad motives. And then we just get on with serving God in the ministries we were serving God with. If we thought to ourselves, boy, I, I don't have perfect motives for my song leading or piano playing, I better stop. Well, I mean, if we're going to stop every time we have less than perfect motives, no one other than Jesus Christ would ever be doing any Christian ministry, would they? The thing to do is to, I guess, recognise it, confess it with gratitude to God who loves us, pray that God will change us, we're dependent on God anyway, and then serving God as best we can. So, much of this passage is about not showing off. But there, as I said earlier, smack bang in the middle of it is that most incredible of prayers, the Lord's Prayer. And really, the Lord's Prayer could really warrant a whole series of sermons which we're not going to give to it this morning. So as we think about our second point, supplication, how we should pray, I'm just going to make a few very brief comments, but I'm particularly trying to apply the elements of the Lord's Prayer to someone who may decide, which I hope is all of us, I want to show off less. How will the Lord's Prayer help us if that's the case? Now, verses 7 to 8 introduce the Lord's Prayer by highlighting another problem which people sometimes have with prayer. In verses 5 and 6, the problem highlighted was what we might describe as the Pharisees' problem, i.e. showing off. Verses 7 and 8 describe what we might describe as the pagans' problem, babbling in prayer. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Now, there's some discussion as to what this word babbling might actually mean in this context, but it seems to me to almost most probably mean praying where the mind is not really engaged with what we're doing. Perhaps we're just saying things, reciting things, babbling away, I guess, to try and manipulate or get God to do something. An example might be, you might be sitting here and thinking, boy, I really want a pony. I really want a pony. So you go home and think, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray to God, I want a pony, God. Dear God, I want a pony, God. Dear God, I want a pony. I'm going to do that for four hours straight. And if I do that for four hours straight, God's probably more likely to give me a pony than if I didn't. You know, it's sort of, that's babbling in prayer. Or some people might sort of think, oh, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, we can pr- the Lord's Prayer is brilliant. But if we pray it and we don't actually think about the words, we're just saying stuff. There's nothing magical about saying the Lord's Prayer. Praying any prayer where our minds aren't engaged, I think is babbling in prayer. The key thing is when we pray, we're actually thinking about what we're praying. It's not about manipulation, it's about communication. So here Jesus gives a model for communicating with God in prayer. He starts off by saying in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Now the Lord's Prayer is a good prayer to pray word for word, but it's also a good prayer to pray idea for idea you could pray a line and then unpack it a bit pray another line unpack that etc now as I mentioned if you're someone who thinks yes I'd really like to uh, show off less how could this prayer help us well let's start you're thinking I'd like to show off less 
But I realise I've been showing off my whole life. It's so ingrained in me. There is no way I could ever change here. And even if God could change me, he's got more important things to worry about than my little motives, you might think. If either of those two thoughts occur to you, the opening to the Lord's Prayer is very helpful. Because it opens by addressing God in verse 9 as our Father in heaven. That's an incredible opening which helps us here and in so many other areas because it highlights that God is personal and powerful. He's personal. He's our Father. If we're praying to him about anything, like any good father hopefully is, he's engaged. He's interested in your struggle and my struggle with not showing off. We've got his, we're, he's engaged. And secondly, he's powerful. I mean, God created, Jesus created the, the, the Trinity, created the heavens and the earth. He laws of science, he sustains the laws of science, the kingdoms are in his hands. Our motives and the attitudes of our heart are perfectly within his capacity to change. So we can pray to someone who is both personal, he's interested, and powerful, he can act. He can change our heart in the area of showing off. And then we get to the things prayed for, end of verse 9 and verse 10. The requests here relate to God's glory, not our glory. So we're actually praying for things which draw attention to God. It says in verse 9, hallowed be your name, then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that God, not us, would be acknowledged as great. The focus is on God. Then you might sort of think, look, yes, I can pray that and I want to pray that, <clears throat> but I still struggle so much with not just showing off. Well, the second half of the prayer is concerned with our needs. Verses 11 to 13. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this prayer here expresses humble dependence on God something which we saw in the Beatitudes back in chapter 5 was a good quality for Christians, you know. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who realise their dependence on God. This prayer highlights that. So when it says we pray to God for our daily bread, we're praying for our needs. And one of our needs, no doubt, is an increasingly changed heart. And then we pray that our debts or sins would be forgiven. So we can confess our sins of showing off, knowing that God's forgiven us for those times where we've known we've done it, and those times when we haven't known we've done it. And then finally, we pray that God would help us to resist temptations and overcome testings and the like. And so we're praying that God would help us, as in the future, we seek to show off less. You see, the Lord's Prayer is so helpful here for things, including this one particular issue. Let me conclude. Uh, in the past few days, I've been reflecting on some famous Christians who I admire. And I particularly thought about three people. And I'm sure you can think of who those three people are, who I so often quote in the sermons. Think of those, those three people in your minds. If you came up with John Stott, Billy Graham and Corrie Ten Boom, tick, you've got it. Now, those, those three people were Christian people. They spoke to millions of people. They'd have had every temptation to show off. Now, none of them are perfect, None of them are perfect, but from what I've read about them, they don't present as being big-headed. From what I know, they tend to, tended to point people towards Jesus rather than themselves. And that's what I want to aspire to, and I trust that's what you want to aspire to as well.
So this passage to encourage us reminds us that we can pray to God our Father in heaven. We can pray that he would be the focus of our thoughts. He would be the audience to whom we play in our lives as we give to the needy and pray and fast and do other things as well. So our big idea for this passage this morning is pray to God, play to God, point to God. Say that again. Pray to God, play to God, point to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this sermon which is recorded here in Matthew, which each week as we think about it, we see its incredible relevance to our lives and uh, how it impacts us. Lord, as we think about uh, not showing off this morning, but pointing people towards you rather than ourselves, that we would would think of you as we do our our service of others, uh, not what others think or ourselves. Lord, we do pray that thank you that you forgive us. Please change us and help us to get on with serving you uh, with better motives and, uh, action and attitudes. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.